0: Man, I thought we were just going to have a nice and chill Friday afternoon recording of the final week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode of the week, and well, yeah, not so much. Yesterday, my racer.com Formula One reporting colleague Chris Medland filed a delightful story saying, hey, the thing we've been telling you is a possibility, looks like it's going to happen, that being... Romain Groschant joining Dale Coyne Racing, and even more fun, and this is among the many reasons I love the team, it's the character on display, was awoken this morning by a text from one of their team members. I'll see if I can get permission to say who it is and share it with you here soon, but uh, was awoken by an early morning text from one of the team members responding to a comment left by one of racer.com's fine, amazing, upstanding commenters where they were taking the team to task a little bit, as uh, my friends in England would say, taking the piss out of them, saying that Romain will certainly be disappointed that they probably don't even have an espresso machine at Dale Coyne Racing. So woke up this morning to a series of texts and a video of the team taking uh, uh, a bit of umbrage with that assertion and they even shot a little video uh, of the espresso machine working just fine in the shop and then panning up showing the Dale coin racing neon sign it was just classic passive aggressive kiss my bleep type response mixed in with a lot of good humor because they are a well-humored team so Good on our friends at Dale Coin Racing, basically setting the record straight that uh, it wasn't a cheap machine either. It looked like uh, it was was a pretty good one. Uh, When Romain gets there and needs to get tuned up, they do indeed have the ability to get his little synapses firing with Espresso. So that was that, and that was all I was going to mention before getting to our listener Q&A And then we have this thing that drops that was a surprise, but not a total surprise, of Marco Andretti stepping back and committing at the moment to only the Indy 500. His father, in his quote with the team, suggested that he might do some other races. Uh, He's obviously testing with the team on Monday and Tuesday, is it? I forget whether he's one day or both days, but uh, at Sebring... Just posted a story about that this morning on racer.com, all the teams that will be testing there. And, yeah. So, got a question here that opens the show, a new one that just landed from our pal Ryan Terpstra, who I lovingly refer to as the show's Spirit Vegetable. Um, just mention this before we dive right into Ryan's question. Uh, texted with Marco today, spoke on the good old telophone With Brian Herta. Yeah, Uh, I'm hoping to get Marco here maybe for a catching up with episode. Uh, Waiting to hear back if he's up for doing that. But um, yeah, why don't we just get into Ryan's question? Say thank you as always to you all for the great questions you sent in, and also to our amazing three partners, being the Justice Brothers manufacturers of genuinely fine automotive chemicals and lubricants wonderful folks at cooper tire not only do they make great road products for your street vehicle but they also happen to shod the entire road to indy cooper tires awesome folks and then torontomotorsports.com they're going to have a bunch of new weekend indy car and weekend sports car t-shirts hats stickers i believe I've heard about some other nonsense that they're looking to put together. I tell you, uh, doggy chew toys, I think. If you're a fan of firearms, hey, don't just do regular target practice. Put up some of the crap that has my face on it. Anyways, that's coming. Thanks to them. Let's get rolling here. I should mention as well, I am sampling something thanks to the Prue Day. This is a kentucky coffee barrel stout uh i really had never thought of combining the flavor of coffee with a dark beer but thanks to our friends at kentucky coffee barrel stout uh they did and how does it taste it's actually lexington brewing and distilling company uh let me take another sip here i uh, not really sure i taste the coffee Maybe it's more of a mental thing, uh, but maybe it'll get me up a little bit because I'm trying not to fall asleep. But anyways, let's rock and roll here. little music bed. Yeah, a little bit of music bed. Why? I like that song, keeping it two years in a row. Uh, Ryan Terpstra says, with the news today of Marco Andretti doing a part-time schedule. I, I, I got to admit, I'm not sure how to phrase the schedule here, by the way, Ryan. There are, what, 17 races, and he's doing one. I don't know if I call one part time. Maybe it's a one off, at least at the moment. He says, Do they make it a full time leader circle entry? Since Marco said, I have the opportunity to race full time if I want. He also says, Second question Do they hire Oliver Ask you to fill the void? Well, I would not argue if they did that with Oliver, but uh, I have nothing to share on that subject because I simply don't know. Yeah, so couple things here. And I'm sure there will be some more questions that come in next week about the Marco bits. Been hearing for a little while that they were struggling very heavily to find funding for Marco's entry, full season funding. Is that 100% accurate, 0% accurate? I don't work for the team. I can only tell you I've heard that from more than one source but wasn't comfortable enough to put that in print so I didn't just sharing this because I'm not claiming it to be accurate but I do know that there were hell I've had conversations with folks uh, who shall remain nameless where they're serious like oh you know I hope everything comes together here because it feels like there could be a question mark As to whether it will in time to start the season. In reading the press release, it says that the car is fully funded and ready to go, and Marco could drive it for the whole year, but he chose to step back and just select testing and the Indy 500. We'll assume that that's not total spin, but if you have a vehicle that is fully funded, one that would be doing the entire season, if it weren't for its normal driver saying, I'm only going to do one of the 17. Well, to answer your question, Ryan, they would indeed need to have someone in the car the other 16 races for it to be qualified to try and earn a leader circle contract. We know on the subject of finances that Marco's entry was the one and only in the 2020 season that did not earn a leader circle contract by the end of the season. They were not in the top 22. It's 23rd of the full-time entries. Therefore, that's a million dollars lost. So, if they want to get back into the good graces of receiving a leader circle, I would say for sure they will need to announce someone is going to be in that car. Now, here's a little bit of fuzziness. I should just... State, I've asked for some time with Michael Andretti or Rob Edwards. Still waiting to hear back on that. I'm recording this shortly after all this news has happened and the requests have been put in. This is also happening on a Friday, and it's late afternoon, almost end of the day in Indy for most of the folks uh, who'd be processing such things. Um, We know that Marco has driven the number 98. It has 14 different entrants on it. It's Michael Andretti. It's Brian Herta, It's Marco Andretti. It's Mike Kerb. It's the Agajanian family. Um, yeah, I might be missing three or four others, but there are many entrants on that car. We would say that Michael and Brian, you could say, are really the primaries. Marco has been in that car, obviously, for a little while now. Marco is indeed a co-owner of that entrant, of that entry, I should say. We know that's a, a small stake, but... There is business here to be done uh, in terms of putting that car on track. Hopefully, as Michael said, there's full budget for it. Uh, Whether that's money that had been found for Marco or money that has come in possibly with other drivers climbing in. Um, Again, there's a little bit of fuzziness here. I'm hoping to gain some clarity. So, the car number, the 98 itself, when I spoke with Brian Herda today, who kindly took my call while sitting on a beach, right? Good on our man, Mr. Herda. Um, He said not too many solid, significant, committal things, but did say there's really good things on the horizon. I am here as a partner of Andretti Autosport to do whatever they need, however they need, etc. Not really going to talk about any who might be in, who might not be in, um any of that stuff. Said so really just want to focus at the moment on Marco and his decisions. Said I really support Marco's decision. i he said I'm happy for him. Marco's happy in my uh communication exchange with Marco today. He said the same thing and it came across, you know, very genuine uh about being in a very good place. Some of you know he and I are, are fairly friendly and you know, text not all the time, but often enough and have a pretty good personal feel for one another and this didn't seem like he was putting on any airs, so it does sound like he's in a very good place with this decision. What I can't tell you is whether this decision was made entirely of his own volition meaning uh hey i could go do a full season the car's fully funded but i've chosen not to or some of the potential budget limitations that i've heard about some others have heard about could that have been a factor that led to hey you know maybe this is just the perfect time to take a step back so I wish, Ryan, and I had a lot of concrete things to offer. We know what was said in the press release. Um, I would love nothing more than for Marco to continue full-time, demonstrate his full potential, and be fully satisfied as a human being. That would genuinely make me happy. I'm not part of the... Uh, hating on Marco andretti Club or whatever it might be, um like many wish that the results in the various numbered cars he's driven for a long time would have been significantly better than they have been, but I can just look at the guy and say i've seen him perform at his peak uh seen both of his wins by coincidence." Seen him do things in a LMP2 sports car that continue to boggle the mind, almost otherworldly. So, uh, been beaten by him while engineering, not nearly as good a driver or, or team uh, in Indy Lights. Um, I wish the guy nothing but peace and happiness. Peace being the operative word here of all the things we might attach to Marco over the last 15 years in IndyCar, or I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 in IndyCar, the last 10 or 12, it's probably not an abundance of inner peace. And so I know this isn't about racing and hardcore this, that, and the other, and, you know, racing, racing, racing. This is more touchy feely human stuff. Um, I just look at Marco and say, man, if you have driven Indy cars for 15 years and can walk away from that, going to do a one-off, but be at peace with yourself and happy and find greater levels of happiness possibly than you've had as an adult, that right there, friends, that is a victory. We know and knew that Marco, after the first, couple of years was never going to be spoken of as the next all-conquering and ready in IndyCar. Um, There's a sadness that I have. Maybe some of you have it as well. Maybe you're a little bit older and have watched Mario race, watched Michael race and Marco as well as uh, I've been fortunate to do the thought of the Andretti name being close to being gone in IndyCar from a driving standpoint, not seeing that name on the side of a cockpit, potentially, after this year's Indy 500 is done. um, Yeah. I mean, saw it happen with the Unser family, and here we are again. We're uh, one of, if not the most famous name, in, uh, if we're talking racing families in all of motor racing, definitely the top two or three yeah it's a little weird to think that we might be at that point where that changes so i don't know what's going to happen in the andretti herda andretti etc etc entry Uh, i do know that brian said the number 98 that is marco's does that suggest that you can change car numbers the entry is still the base thing. The number itself, I don't believe IndyCar cares too much about it being changed, but could there very well be a case of, you know, uh, a different number being used? Is this something where Hinch would indeed be slotting into this full-season entry and the air quote 98 that Marco drives at the Speedway is just an extra car? You know, These are all things that we could very much see play out. I just don't have an immediate answer for you at the moment because it's just a little bit uh, too fresh. So, yeah, um, I'll look forward to getting smarter about this, hopefully by the time we record the next episode. Uh, Let's go to a trio of questions, and I think I might have a little bit more definitive something to offer here. Uh, This comes in from our pal Adam Heidrich, who I don't know if I've had a question from you before, Adam. If not, thank you. And if so, I apologize for forgetting. Uh, Our pal Peter Nutt from Holland and Merle Lewis as well. Uh, All three are asking, hey, NBC, NBC Sports, Peacock, rumor of NBCSN going away at the end of the year. Uh, what do you know? What do you hear? What do you think? Reached out and asked one of the senior communication folks from NBC sports. Uh, what a week ago, six days ago, got a response saying they would respond, did not respond, sent a follow-up saying, okay, thanks. Looking forward to the response. Got no response to my response. And I think sent one more thanks dot 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 response hoping to get something going and there was no response to that response so if you're looking at the score here i think that's three to four outreaches by mp to one by the person who normally tells me such things and they seem to go quiet uh after initially suggesting they would respond So what do you do? Do you just kind of sit and do nothing as a result? No. You reach out to other people in place of that person. And I, yes, have heard from very smart people. What does that mean? Uh, They would know that they are expecting 2021 NBCSN cable outlet to be the last year. Uh, of their series to be broadcast on it and are preparing for all streaming Peacock in 2022 in place of those NBCSN dates for the series that have some big NBC blocks and NBCSN in this early time of strategery uh, I understand it would be a case of the NBCSN dates transfer to full streaming. The big NBC would not. Those are obviously the big generators in terms of ratings. Bit of a bigger question here as well to not really delve much into today. But we've been saying for a little while, myself and I'm sure many others, that the traditional Nielsen ratings that are used as the gold standard by sponsors uh, to attach value. Uh Aha, you got a blank point blank rating. It had this many households in it. That is good. That is bad. Uh, We're going to establish how much money we're going to give you for the season based on, in part, the television reach and audience all through Uh, this Nielsen rating, you know, true television-type number. We've known for a while that this is going to have to change because as many of us, I think, by now, have switched over to a life that is, by and large, almost entirely streamed or pretty close to everything being streamed, you know, whether it is The Peacock or Hulu or Netflix, Amazon Prime, et cetera, et cetera, HBO Max, like you run down the list, and I just share on the home front here, I will watch a decent amount of live sports on cable, but just about anything else that is a sitcom, documentary, uh, just a regular drama or whatever series, uh, what I'm... Just finished season four of The Sopranos last night, Uh, having watched, I think, almost all of it back in the day. I remember watching the very first episode while sitting in a hotel in uh, Brownsburg, Indiana, Uh, snowing like mad, uh, getting ready for the 99 IRL season. Anyways, um, I got to admit, y'all, I know on our end, we spend very little time on actual cable or network TV. So am I surprised that there looks like there's going to be a heavy shift here in our little world with sports and IndyCar and IMSA and whatever else, NASCAR that's on NBCSN going to the Peacock streaming service in 2022? Not so much, and maybe that does speak to, hey, finally the need for ratings and rating valuation, really not just being locked into television, but real value being placed on streaming numbers and that being something that sponsors are good with, maybe this is a signal that that's really starting to happen in our little sports world of how sponsors value things. Maybe this is something that will finally start going in that direction. So uh, as for what might be had, When we get to 2022, right, you know, the IndyCar track pass and there's all kinds of track pass type stuff. Um, We'll have to see what's offered. Um, Yeah, I still don't have a hard answer on all this. The fact that I got a response from NBC Sports that was then fell dead silent leads me to believe they're preparing to announce something. So stay tuned. Travis Lee, you have a question that has possibly the finest answer of the week. You wrote in to say, and I'm going to take a sip of my Kentucky coffee barrel stout. First time, long time, another new questionnaire. I love it when our listeners send in stuff for the first time and let me know about it so I can say thank you and celebrate you. Not Disregarding all of those of you who are regular submissioneers and contributors, but just love it when uh, good folks like Travis, and boy, early in the show already, we've got a couple of folks who uh, I know are first time, long times. Uh, says, Hey Marshall, in uh, your sports car show, Graham Goodwin was talking about the passing of uh, Brands hatches announcer. He says, 2020 would have been my 33rd consecutive year attending the Grand Prix of Long Beach. And he says, and not having Bruce Flanders there saddens me greatly. You know what? I I truly have to follow you there. I love me some Bruce Flanders. Very very sad that he has uh, he's died. Um, Would just yeah, uh, he wasn't in a good way for quite some time. But yeah, it does suck. He he's so. <sighs> To all of those of you in Indiana, Midwest, or just who've had a tradition of going to the Indianapolis 500 for many, many, many years, uh, yeah. Bruce Flanders was to the Long Beach Grand Prix what Tom Carnegie was to the Indy 500. Uh, Even with them no longer there, you still hear them in your head. Their voice is just, when you're on the grounds, like, you know, when I walk around, even when I'm not, hearing haven't heard bruce on the pa system uh in recent years you know just maybe a break in the action or whatever i just he's always there so to your point very sad you ask do you know who his replacement will be or anything about his replacement also kindly closes by saying thanks for your passion love the show and hope you meet hope to meet you someday in long beach me too travis if we collectively can kick this covid butt Um, I will absolutely be in long beach and would hope to see you and would hope to put on a little live podcast. I haven't done one of those in more than a year. It's really, really feeling strange. So I posed that question to our pal, uh, head of communications at the, uh, for the grand Prix at long beach, the mighty fine Chris Esslinger thinking I would just get a quick response from Chris. No. What do we get? The man in charge of the entire Grand Prix at Long Beach, the, the head of the whole organization that makes it happen and has made it happen for many years. Jim McCalion dropped us a response. Uh, I love Jim, by the way. Uh, he said, hey, uh, got your question about who will be doing the announcing at the 2021 Acura Grand Prix. He says, while we are still mourning the loss of our beloved and very unique Bruce Flanders, we're thankful to still have the services of his longtime colleague, Terry Clanton, who has worked alongside Bruce at our race for over 20 years. He says he will assume more of Bruce's duties, and we will be bringing in someone to assist Terry now during the race weekend, as he did Bruce. He says, but we will certainly miss not having Bruce in the booth, making those memorable observations that enthralled so many over the years. Also closes it by saying, looking forward to being able to put on a full Long Beach-type presentation here in September and hope everyone can make it. I, uh, I'm i right there with Jim, and thanks for asking that question, Travis. Terry, who, uh, yeah, the while Bruce is the most memorable one because he's always just been a ham, and that's what endeared him to so many people there. Uh, he did have a sidekick and Terry. Yes. So, uh, I don't think Terry's voice will be unfamiliar to you, uh, and anyone else who, uh, who decides to uh, come and play in person. Uh, let's see, where do we go next? Where do we go? Where do we go? I would say we're going to go to our pal, Daniel Summersgill. He says, what does IndyCar need to do to attract new team owners to the series? Says, hashtag me personally, other than Carlin and the odd appearance from Dragon Speed. There's been no new teams recently. Asks, does the dominance of the big beast teams of Andretti and Penske and Ganassi put off potential new team owners? Mm, great question, Daniel. I don't believe the success of the big three puts off anyone. What I do believe is we have. Some generational damage to consider. Uh, the split, talking about when cart IndyCar series had a brand new rival in the Indy Racing League, announced in '94, and uh, really for the first time the two went head to head in '96. Had a pretty interesting thing happen at that stage, where upon that split, starting in '96. We did have some little bit of new cart IndyCar team owner team type stuff happen more later in the decade, but there weren't many, there weren't a ton of new entrants that came into cart. There were tons of new entrants and not all of them. Great. I worked for some of them. I was part of the mediocrity and that's not irony or I'm just being honest, there are a lot of new teams that were formed in the IRL. And it's because it's very cheap. The the bar to access, the entry level, dollar wise, competency wise, significantly lower than CART. And so there was an explosion of wow. <laughs> There's a couple teams that we're familiar with. Okay, Foyt got it, and you know, one or two here or there where you go, all right, they've been around for a while. And they're good, or you know, they're they're high quality teams. But by and large, uh, it was almost an entire series packed with midfield to tail end teams. Cost was the real thing that made it easy to get in, and so you had a lot of people who loved Indy Car racing for the first time said, "Whoa, huh, I could really never do this properly." In carts, so I haven't even tried, but I love it. I'm a businessman, businesswoman, my son, daughter, whomever is involved. Hey, w- this is now achievable financially and equipment wise. It's all pretty simple, it's nothing too high tech. Can be done. That went on. Things started getting a little bit weird in the 2000s, Daniel, where there were really, well, we had a couple more new teams come in under the Champ Car banner still wasn't a lot of boom or growth there whatsoever. Had a lot of those teams move over to the IRL. And somewhere in this kind of early 2000s, mid, late 2000s, it's a bit of a weird thing that happened. And this is the heart of the answer that I can offer as I see it. And it's the people that made up that core Desire to become a team owner, to build, to buy, to co-own, to whatever, whatever, always tons of those people uh, involved, just amazing where where things really took a big hit is those people, the ones who didn't just love it but wanted to be in at the ground level a team with their name on it or their business name, their whatever it started to dry up brother. And that's, that's the hard place we've been at for a while. Mike Harding, big long time fan of IndyCar, big parties at the 500 and all this kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, good sized company in Indiana. Great. And so on. Hey, i've decided now after all these years i want to become an indycar team owner K, great seriously it's amazing you people like you mike harding are freaking unicorns like you just don't even exist anymore it seems like almost said he wanted to do two cars initially and oh yeah didn't really happen and struggled to get through the first season as a one car operation and the costs were scary the ability to find sponsorship 5 6 million a year yeah hard scary uh that's been the tale not enough people who love indycar to the point of wanting to be involved not enough folks with enough money sitting in their trust funds or offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands or whatever it is, CEO of big company whatever. It's it's a numbers issue here, Daniel, where the costs are so significant now that in most instances the Dragon Speeds, the Carlin's, the Meyer Shank the Michael Shank Racings and hunkoses and we could add a few others here too who've come in been able to buy cars and such run a full season or two maybe or partial season but hit a rough patch and all of a sudden uh, yeah we don't know if we're going to do full season partial season couple hey we're probably going to sell our equipment uh or the other thing we're going to co-enter Right We don't have enough to do this on our own, uh but you know i can I got a car and a transporter, and I can contribute you know two employees I have on the payroll and great, someone else is going to add this and that. What you have, unfortunately, Daniel is a a absolute vacuum of people with the passion and interest to want to become IndyCar team owners. That's one big thing to solve: where are they? who are they? Uh, they're, they're unicorns at this point, man. And the other part is, for those that are interested and are trying to, how many are able to run full, complete seasons on their own or have to take multiple drivers in the car to complete the budget or have to co-enter or have multiple people on a co-entry just to make all the ends meet? Budget. For sure, and then just the lack of people, brother. Um, how do we? How do we inspire, create, build more people who would want to be team owners? It, we got to answer this question soon, because if you look at the average age of IndyCar team owners, I f- fear it would be fifty-five ish to sixty. Possibly. Um, and there's no no disrespect to anyone in that age range. Just that doesn't speak to next generation vitality, making sure that uh, there are plenty of people ready to carry the baton. We talk about this with drivers all the time, right? Wow, so-and-so's getting old. Long in the tooth. Who's going to replace them? Well, teams are looking for those solutions all the time. Uh, this is something that on the series wide level among the many things they need to do and fix this is not something that can necessarily be overlooked for a very very long time uh let's see where do we go is this horatio Frey? how you doing horatio been a little while brother says happy 2021 says indy used to be about innovation and testing a testing ground for new technology what would you say is or was the last technology that was tested at Indy and is now on road cars? says, so aside from the rearview mirror, what is another major invention you can think of? Well, since we're talking Indy, which would mean North America, USA, would say the most recent transferable item that comes to mind, and I'm not saying it happened for the first time in IndyCar, just saying that, this is the last thing I remember being carried over heavily, is tire pressure monitoring, uh, that being live live testing embedded within the wheel, providing tire pressure information. We now know that a lot more information is being provided, but this is something that was once the domain solely in racing and has become, I would say, pretty much standard in almost every vehicle sold so that's what comes to mind here uh, from a timeline standpoint so uh yeah maybe that's it love to hear some other ideas uh if there's something big uh, that i have completely forgotten about going to andrew campbell i don't know why i'm over pronouncing so many people's names but i am uh it's not because i'm drunk i i wish i was i'm actually drinking some a88 infused uh lemon lime smooth hydration naturally flavored zero calories purified water why am i telling you all this i have no idea but it's good and my wife tells me to drink it and i do uh our pal andrew says hey happy new year so hope you and your wife had a nice holiday season and are both doing well so far this year we are brother we are so i just read a story about former f1 driver 2009 f1 champ jensen button having an opportunity to compete in indycar with air mclaren sp but that didn't materialize due to covid So, he was quoted as wanting to participate on the road and street courses do you have any further insights on the story uh do you think we might see him in indycar sometime in the next couple of years if so how do you think he would do Uh, also mentions he enjoys the podcast. that's great. I mean, if you didn't, I guess you probably wouldn't send in questions. So, uh, And he also says he is proud to be a member of the subgroup of listeners that have banded together on their own because they're a little bit unhinged uh, that goes by the name of The Prue Day, as in Pruitt and Day, which is a take on my favorite WWE tag team, The New Day. Uh, So uh, you're a member of that shadow group. I don't even know how you join, by the way. I'm not a member of it, never been invited, wouldn't expect to. I'm sure they just take me apart, eviscerate me on a daily basis, as they should. But it's actually just a really fun group of, of uh, silly, kind-hearted folks who just communicate. So for any of you listeners who might consider yourself you know, serious listeners of the nonsense that I put together, uh, you might reach out and ask an Andrew Campbell or John Wojnar, uh, James Bethea, uh Matt Philpott, uh, Ryan Terpstra, a lot of good folks, Daniel Summersgill, who've all joined in on this Pruday thing that I don't fully understand, I appreciate, I don't fully understand. Uh, let's go in a little bit of reverse order here. How do I think Jensen would do if he was competing in IndyCar? Assuming it would be with an Air McLaren SP or similar? I think we would have a guy who would be running up front all the time. I think he'd be right there with a Pato Award and Felix Rosenquist, if not ahead. at times. This is a all-world caliber guy, world champion. Uh, Was stoked to watch him come up the open wheel ladder. Uh, Remember his Formula 3 season, and then all of a sudden, hey, you're driving for Williams in F1 and have followed him intently ever since. Don't know him. have a lot of mutual friends, though, and uh, they all tell me how much he still loves racing. I think he'd be a badass. I mean, we've only ever seen with Jensen. In a quality car, he delivers quality results. Now, what, in his 40s, I think, early 40s, with a couple of kids living in Southern California, doing... Super GT stuff in Japan and, you know, a couple one-offs here or there. Pretty heavy Honda affiliation, though, so I'm not totally clear on how he would have driven for Chevy-powered team, but regardless, I have no doubt that in a quality entry, Jensen Button is vying for wins. Uh, just period. As for, do I think we might see him in, in, an, in an IndyCar sometime in the next couple of years? I do not. Uh, it seems to me that if this was something he really wanted to make happen, he would have now is there a possibility of course, always I mean, I would say we 're talking about the Marco stuff, right? Hey, got an open seat that is supposedly funded uh, <laughs> How about a legend you know legendary member of the the Honda family? How about you uh, finally make his dreams come true? That would be pretty amazing wouldn 't you say wink, wink? not nudge, nudge, whatever else. Boy, I need to drink more beer. Maybe it'll straighten my brain out. Um, I think that'd be pretty awesome. As for anything else, I just, again, this is something, Andrew, that (sighs) IndyCar's a commitment. Obvious statement alert here, but it is a real commitment. There are some series that we see Drivers go and do a one-off here, there, a couple or whatever, and it's cool and it's fun and they enjoy it. Maybe some of those series are a little bit easier to do that in. This IndyCar stuff, outside of the Indy 500, right? Indy 500 is a thing where you have enough track time where you can you know, get up to speed and, and handle yourself. But it's not easy, as we have seen with guest appearances, for a driver to just show up on a road or street course, and be right there. This is a, hey, I got to put in a lot of training. I need to build a lot of upper body muscle, a lot of muscle endurance that no other form of racing demands of me. Um, I've got to do that, and then I've got to test as much as I can. I've got to do everything because this is not one of those forms of racing where you can show up and just be good on a lark. It really does separate those who have been almost you know crazy insane in their preparation and those who haven't most likely because they just haven't had time so love to see it hard to see it happen though unless maybe who knows and ready Mm -hmm. Uh, another sip of beer here vincent 1701 Though this is a fun one. You always send in stuff, Vincent, that's just, you know, it's never smooth. It's it's always a barb or two on the hook. And I think I like that. I know that I'm always the one being put on the hook here to answer the questions. So, hey, it's all good. I truly, I don't give a fart. Meaning, throw the stuff in like this. I think I do like it. I do like it. I appreciate it. Vincent asks, who runs Aero McLaren SP? As I know the official answer, but that doesn't feel correct. He asks, where does the, quote, buck stop? And here's a, here we are, I'm going to say it because you wrote it, but I, I hate this phrase, at the end of the day. uh, Well, since you didn't say who, who or what the, quote, official answer is, um, I'm not sure exactly how to answer to their for. Compare and contrast to what you know the official answer to be. So here's a couple things I can share. If we're talking the true day to day making the team happen, and I'm talking the team, not the business that is Aaron McLaren SP, but the actual competition team, that would be Taylor Kyle and the good Taylor Kyle. Someone who, boy, Uh, in a situation where his talents and the full talents of the team could be expressed last season uh, with his elevation to general manager. Uh, Boy, that guy did really good work. If we're talking about the above Taylor level, well, so official answers would be what I think you're alluding to here, Um, that would be obviously the S, the P, and although it's not included in initial form, the B, that would be Sam Schmidt, Rick Peterson, Zach Brown. You know that part. Um, I know that there's a sensitivity to make sure that everyone is given their due respect. And just sharing here, why not? Uh, Sometimes if I'm doing a story about something, and I say, hey, I'll call that person of the leadership and ask them a question, Uh, and they give me a fine answer. I sometimes find that there's some blowback that I didn't ask someone else or that there might have been disrespect perceived where there really was none. Here's what I can tell you. Back in 2001, which for the umpteenth time was my final year working in IndyCar, working as an IndyCar crew member. That also happened to be the very first year of Sam Schmidt Motorsports, SSM. That is known today as Aero McLaren SP. The guy that started it, the guy that founded it, the guy that made the cars appear and the engines appear and the tires and the everything else, that guy's name, Sam Schmidt. He has a decent term partner in the exceptionally fine person. That is Rick Peterson. Those two own the team outright. If I am talking about who quote runs it, right? Who's the boss of if someone has to make a hard decision at the highest level, who is that person? Only thing I know is, is that person to be Sam Schmidt? Not saying Rick Peterson isn't right there with an equal vote, and all, so it's not diminishing Rick's role by any means, but Rick also has other businesses that he owns and runs. This is, oh, well, I guess Sam does too with his uh, spinal cord f- uh, injury rehabilitation facilities, but this is truly Sam's biggest and longest term business. Uh, You have McLaren that has invested into the team, brings money to the team, partners with the team, but does not own, as I am told, a zillionth of a percent of the team. So if we're talking a tiebreaker (laughs) uh, of who really truly uh, is the, the, the buck stoppage, I would have to suggest that that is Sam Schmidt, Matt Philpott, I uh, already outed you as one of the Pruday members. I'm sorry, dude. Uh, maybe if you take one of the T's off the end of your last name, no one will notice. Just Matt Philpott with a single T, not two. This says, Marshall, word has come out that McLaren is looking at joining Formula E within the next year or so. Should this worry IndyCar fans about their interest in remaining involved with our sport? No, none, zero would say the only thing that I know of that might be at risk to discuss with our pal Graham Goodwin on the week in sports cars is McLaren's move into LMDH uh, in IMSA in 2023, IMSA or WEC. But no, uh, they're loving their time in IndyCar. This market's huge for the McLaren automobile brand. It's a different side of the business, right? The McLaren racing part is what is really uh, stuck in here in IndyCar, but there's just a lot of knock-on benefits that I would say probably not coming at what we would consider a significant annual expense. Uh, Tim Falkowitz says, Hey, Marshall. Tim, by the way, puts together our Q&A list every week for me. Thank you, Tim. says, I've watched IndyCar tech inspections at the track but really have no idea what they're checking on the cars. Can you shed some light on what is involved during each of the tech inspections? Well, they do a number of things. Uh, We're talking weight, for example. They will do minimum weight for sure to make sure that a car is not running below weight. A lot of dimensional checks. Uh, If we're talking about length and width and height, maximums, those are all checked. We have cars that are by and large spec, so there are serial number checks. There's just, again, genuine hey, the wing can only be this long and it sure does look like it's made by Delara, and it sure does have, uh, you know, all the identifying marks saying that it's from Delara. but we're still going to make sure that it fits within that slot, within that template uh, for cord and span and all those things. So a lot of those things. Um, Weight bearing as well is an interesting one. Uh, You have an expectation that, all things on the car are rigid and solid, knowing that an IndyCar is very much an aerodynamic creature. There are certainly some benefits to be had. Uh, if the floor was to sag a little bit here or there, some things that you would expect to be fully tightened, but you know, I may or may not throughout my career. I'm not saying indie car, but you know, been in a series where there could be some benefit. We're leaving something a slight bit loose and letting some parts flex or move in key areas where they would be of value. It's been done, so that'll take place. Um, I would say the, the vast majority of what you see happening is confirming that the car in front of them is indeed an Indy car, meaning all the things on it that are allowed, uh, that are required to be, you know, this part, that part, You can do this to this thing, but you can't do that to the other. It's looking and making sure that things aren't modified in the ways that they shouldn't be. So I would say, if I wanted to apply a mindset to things, if we were to go back in time to some years, early years in particular of the IRL, where there were multiple chassis suppliers you know, a handful of engine suppliers, but there was a decent amount of customization allowed. A lot of a technical inspection was not so much just confirming that this whole car is all full of the spec parts it's supposed to be. It was, okay, uh, this is a real technical inspection, not a spec parts inventory. And let's make sure that in the areas where you can play or that are different, you haven't really ventured off the reservation. go to cart when there's four or five different chassis and engines from everyone, and the cars were damn near wide open to do whatever you want. uh that's more of a making sure that the places we say you can't cheat you haven't cheated in because we can't really look at that front suspension wishbone and say, "Ah, oh, it must be this or that the team could make it if they want." Team could make a wing, team could make a this, team could make a that. Uh, so it really wasn't a inventory check of spec parts, Tim. Uh, it was definitely more of a, man, we said you could only do so much of this, and we got to make sure you didn't go over um, or look for the way you tried to cheat and circumvent. Not saying that today's IndyCar tech team isn't looking for cheating, but I am saying for sure, a little bit more of ticking the boxes of conformity than having to rein in all kinds of crazy creativity. So, I don't, uh, hopefully, that answers the question, but yeah, um, it, it's a job that is necessary and is performed, but I would not say something that is. As much of a kind of ID channel, um, you know, murder police detective type thing, where boy, everyone's looking at your car trying to find the areas where you are cheating and doing crazy stuff. It's pretty darn hard to do that today. So, yeah, just a different mindset, brother. Uh, where are we going next? We're going to Tim Glass. I love this question, by the way, Tim. Uh, you ask. As I scroll up, because I scrolled too far, because I'm dumb. Uh, IndyCar teams have looked to the DTM in the past. Do you know if anyone has considered Rene Rast? He says, I think he's the best driver, not in open-wheel racing at the moment. Rene having won a lot of DTM titles in a row. Uh, Also, Audi LMP1, Le Mans driver. Genuine, awesome, awesome guy. Mazda part of their dpi program when you say indycar teams have looked i wouldn't i don't know if i would say teams uh, i might be forgetting someone but really uh robert wickens is the only one to come from the dtm to indycar as in kind of talent spotting there have been others who have done dtm right obviously dario franchiti came to indycar from the dtm but that was more of a Mercedes career placement thing than Carl Hogan looking to the DTM. I know our pal Christmas dinner, AKA Christmas Danner DTM pass came over, but again, he'd been a Formula One driver for a long time. Just saying, I'm not, you know, being a little pedantic, I guess, but I'd say Robert's the only one that really stands out to me as a, Ooh, there's that guy in the DTM. We should really consider whether we could have him uh, that comes to mind Rene I would say for sure could be very special does 80% of the IndyCar paddock have any idea that Rene Rast is a human being and exists on the planet eh, probably not <laughs> so that might be the issue here he has been a factory driver uh, Audi being the one he's been with for a long time uh, he's been a factory guy for a while. Those tend not to be the ones that stand out for you know an independent IndyCar team to say, ooh, let me go see if I can grab that guy because of a factory affiliation. But there's also just a general lack of profile for Rene. I've known him for, I don't know, 10 years, probably maybe a little longer. Think a lot of him. Good humored guy, just really pleasant person and an assassin behind the wheel. So... For as many times as I've said or written, I don't understand why, just looking here in America, IndyCar teams haven't gone after a Colin Brown or a Felipe Nasr. And I know that he did the test with the Carlin, but I mean actual, we want to sign you to be a guy. Why hasn't that happened with drivers here competing in the U.S.? I love this this mention, Tim, and I'd probably put Rene on that equally as high a list of like, I don't know why y'all are sleeping on him. You know, he's not young. What, I don't know what he is, early, mid-30s, something like that. Been around for a long time, but he's very crazy experienced. So that's the thing. I think folks would be shocked at how good he is, knowing how few people truly understand he's a human being and he's alive and he's a champion and a badass. Uh, another sip of beer, David Piles. I think you sent this one in once or twice, buddy. I'm sorry. It's taken a little while if that's the case. It says, MPM curious about the career tra- trajectory. I'm not even drunk, but I'm just keeping it in. Career trajectory of Sage Karam. At one time, he seemed to be, like Oliver Askew, Colton Herta, Pato Ward, a sure thing, winning nearly everything on the road to Indy. He was even getting runs with Ganassi and was leading the race in Pocono uh, when he crashed in 2015. Uh, Sadly, you know that story. So since that moment, it seems Karim's career stalled out. I've always wondered if people held him responsible in some way for Wilson's death. Not directly, but indirectly. It just seems like all his career momentum ended that day. I may be reading more into this, but it seems uh, like it's just something I've really always been curious about. And he says, hope all is well with you and your wife. Interesting, David. Interesting topic here. I have been a fan of the kid referred to over the I'm over the Speedway public address system by I forget who as Cage Sarum. Been a big Cage Sarum fan for a while. Love him, bold, brash, American. Right, reminds me of a PJ Jones and and a lot of young bucks that were badasses and had swagger and. I know that that has not endeared him to everyone. I tend to like that because it's a rarity. I love seeing it since it's not a common thing. And so with him, always really loved that aspect about him. We'll say this, I've said it before, so it's not nothing brand new. Maybe it will be perceived as uh, blasphemous, I don't know. But his Indy Lights Championship, the title that he won in 2014. He did win the championship. I watched him perform at most of the rounds that year, maybe all of them, I don't know, but witnessed that season, saw Sage do his thing, Uh, would say that he performed incredibly well in 2014 in Indy Lights, Uh, The thing that I would say really stood out, though, is of all the Indy Lights champions uh, in and around that time or era, 2013, I apologize, I should say, his title was Sam Schmidt's team, um, won, you know, three, two, three races, was on the podium an absolute ton in 2013. Uh... It just did not stand out to me as the deepest season for championship (sighs) attainment. Uh, He beat Gabby Chavez by a slim, slimmish margin. Uh, Off the top of my head, he won, certainly won more races than Gabby, but Gabby was, you know, uh, maybe even more consistent, right? I mean, Gabby was really strong throughout the year. Um, but really what stood out to me the most, and with Gabby being a teammate of his as well, I mean, the Schmidt team was the dominant team, no doubt about that. So kind of like today we're in Dreddy Autosport. Of course, I'd love to see, and congratulations, Stingray Rob, for signing and staying with our pal Ricardo Junco's and Indy Lights and the HMD GRG team and all the other teams and, and kids that are going to be running in Indy Lights I seriously hope it's a knockdown drag out battle to the very end but if a Andretti Autosport driver doesn't win I'll be very surprised because that team has just been head and shoulders above the rest in this era Schmidt Indy Lights program was the knockdown drag out winner clear best head and shoulders above everybody um, that year I what I think Munoz, I think Carlos Munoz finished third or so. Hawk Jack Hawksworth, who did not have a great year, um finished fourth, I believe. And there are some other good drivers behind them. Uh kid who I really wish now a team owner with his turn three motorsports road to Indy team, but kid who I really wish had been able to continue up to IndyCar, that being Peter Dempsey. I know that he was there. Zach Veach was at his first year of Indy lights. There are a couple other kids in it, right? But if we're talking full season, full time, you name it, it was, it was thin. And I just remember the main takeaway that I had was, hey, congratulations. You have won the Indy Lights Championship. I am not coming away with a feeling like and you're going straight to IndyCar and going to kick serious ass as a result. So I'm sure plenty will disagree with me, but I did not look at Sage's Indy Lights title. I am just being straight up honest with you, David, I didn't look at his championship year in Indy Lights as some sort of, whoa, huge achievement. Um, Really, obviously he beat Gabby by a slim margin, I just didn't look at it with any kind of uh, serious fear when I compared to watching Pato and Colton, knowing that, oh, yeah, uh, not only did Pato just win the title, but he is going like a rampaging bull uh, straight to the top if everything works out for him. And Colton still didn't get to see all the best of him then. He turned out to be the most developed between the two straight out out of the box. Ask you, still think that there's so much untapped potential with him. Sage didn't necessarily have that feeling. So I mention all that because when we're talking career trajectory, I did not see anything in Indy Lights to lead me to believe Sage was going to have a long career in a top team. I thought he would have a decently long career with good teams, midfield or similar. He just didn't strike me as someone that Ganassi, Penske, and Dreddy was going to be chasing hard to get. Thankfully, uh, Gary Peterson, AFS Racing, Automatic Fire Sprinkler, uh, great sponsor in Indy Lights, great sponsor on Junior Open Wheel for decades, did a deal with Chip, brought his car there, uh, split year-ish between his driver, Gary's driver, Sebastian Saavedra in 2015, and uh, Sage. I thought Sage really did show uh, more than I expected, and I ate my words a little bit seeing him really, I thought, perform at a higher level than was expected, we know for sure that uh, on a uh, couple of the ovals, uh, what, he had that podium in Iowa. Uh, I seem to recall he was running super well at Fontana, had a good finish there. He showed some real moxie. Would say that at a lot of the other events, the non-oval events, I don't know if he really stood out too much. And from there, you know, Pocono obviously ended in a very sad manner. And to close off the topic, I don't know of anyone who truly held anything against Sage in a it's your fault kind of way. You know, his crash looked so kind of dumb. And I don't mean dumb in a, in a critical way against him, but just like. You know, all right, it's just kind of a dumb, meaningless crash. There's no, you know, look, n- nothing spectacular, nothing egregious. Oh my God, what is wrong with you? You know, it's just one of those dumb crashes you see uh, two, three, four, five, ten times on a super speedway race. And yet we know, we know what happened. I don't know of anybody that truly looks at him uh, in that capacity, and if they do, Uh, They should be ashamed of themselves because the kid certainly didn't try and harm anybody. Um, I can tell you it still doesn't sit well with him. It'll sit better as time goes on. That's what time does. But uh, this isn't something he really wants to talk about too much. This this hurts. And, yeah, so... (sighs) feel for him like the kid think that there could be more terms of output and potential and whatnot, but he's also been thrown into this cycle here, David to maybe toss in the one greater thing to consider, which is why I just don't foresee this improving for him. And that is he did what? 10 or so races. I don't remember the exact number, but he did a, you know a little bit more than a than a half season for sure uh in 2015 with Ganassi good team right um but since then it's been more or less one-offs um once a year at Indy for sure with the Dron Reinbold team love that team and i know that what he stood in for one race i think with Carlin in 2019 John Reinbold decided, hey, we're going to try and do more than just Indy. We're going to do a handful of races, you know, two, three, four races um, surrounding the 500. Great, did that. But, you know, uh, like I said about Jensen coming into IndyCar, you don't come in with a lot of time off and without really being up to speed and succeed. And you know, just being blunt, they were terrible. They were completely uncompetitive the entire time. There was nothing there at all. And it's not because they're bad or incompetent or anything like that. Just, hey, they haven't done anything outside of the big two-and-a-half-mile oval for many, many, many years. So what does all that mean? Well, it's actually nothing that I'm trying to get at in terms of Dr. and Reinbold racing. Uh, they, could, they could absolutely, with the right personnel um, who have all the latest tricks and know how to get everything out of uh, this chassis, could be running higher. But as a driver who does one race a year, two races a year, there comes a point where your youth is abandoned, your development is abandoned. Um, I'm not saying this specific to Sage, just saying this in, in a mindset that you might consider. If you do one race a year talking IndyCar, if Sage happens to do some other stuff, that's great. But if you do one IndyCar race a year, and when you're done, you've got 50-ish weeks until you get to do it again, it effectively becomes a vacation. It becomes the break from your norm. Your norm is 50 weeks of not being a race car driver. You crave it, you want to do it, you might be i racing and sim racing a ton all those things are awesome but you're not spending those 50 weeks working with your engineer developing a greater rapport truly mastering the real live real world vehicle and the tires and the changes to the compound construction whatever it is you are not an active participant in a full-time career look I hadn't taken photos in a year when I went to that November IndyCar test that Ganassi happened to be at to get folks to uh, sign little charity thing we're doing. I'm just telling you, I've been a photographer since I was 16 years old, huh, right? That's uh, 34 years of experience almost. When I went there, I hadn't shot in a year. I, I've it was the most embarrassing thing ever. Like I, I, I may as well have left the lens cap on. I don't know what the hell I was doing. I was so out of practice, so out of rhythm. I've taken a zillion photos. Of, that's my one of my home tracks. I know how to shoot everywhere. Easy. I've done it a million times. I was fumbling like a fool. It was em- truly embarrassing. Imagine what it's like not driving an car for a year. And you show up and you go, whoa, this is a shock to the system. It's out of my norm because I'm not in rhythm. I'm not in the mindset. I haven't been developing with crew chief, engineer. With the, I'm not plugged into my full-time job. So in essence, it's like a vacation, a break from your normal life routine. Where all of a sudden, for two weeks out of the year, you've got to go 235 miles an hour into turn one, and be able to feel everything the car is doing. Tell, give all kinds of great feedback make precise judgments on when to pass and when not to and how to this and how to that like that's a massive ask of any driver uh whether it is his often teammate Jer hildebrand or a pippa man or a oriel servia it's crazy well imagine though Different from, say, a J uh, I guess JR is perfect, or an Oriole. Oriole had years and years and years and years, full seasons, up and down. Still hard to do in a one-off. JR, many years as a full-time IndyCar driver, got to develop himself, got to hone his skills and talents, so that while it's still hard, he has that base to draw from. David, honestly, Sage doesn't. Sage does not. Uh, He has, I finally pulled it up, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay. He did 12 of the 16 races in 2015. Most of a full season, but not a full season. That's the foundation of his professional skill and development. (sighs) Hard to for me to judge him harshly as a result. Uh, where are we going here? And I appreciate that. It was a longer question. I wanted to dive in. We do that with some questions, some we don't. So I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. This is one I'm going to read and admit up front I have no idea what it's about. But I like these questions sometimes because it gives you all, although you have plenty of opportunities to do it, yet another opportunity to laugh at me and then educate and inform me. Uh, this comes from Charlie Mac C5. It says, hi, Marshall. Greetings from a loyal listener in Minnesota and blessings to your family in 2021. Thank you, Charlie Mack, C5, Minnesota. I love that state. Uh, Charlie Mack, C5 asks, do the drivers still participate in Save Arnold Day? Haven't heard it mentioned in some time. I have no idea what it is. So sadly, I can't answer if it's something they still do. But I do look forward to the tweets or whatever saying, first of all, Pruitt, you are a jackass. And second, this is what Save Arnold Day is. Uh, Let's see. Jonathan Meckley. Jonathan, I don't know if uh, you say you sent this in a couple weeks ago, and thanks for resubmitting it. I don't know if I've read a question from you before. So if not, thank you. Says, uh, you talk about oval tracks that could, or you recently spoke about oval tracks that could be run backwards. But I want to know if the cars could run them backwards. Is it as simple as putting the lefts on the rights and the rights on the lefts? Are the cars designed slash strengthened to do the ovals counterclockwise? The answer to that, Jonathan, is yes. They are not built to only go left when it's time to oval race because since the vast number of events on the calendar are road and street courses, where they have to go left and right, there's no real way they could design the car and outfit it with components that uh, were only capable of excelling in one direction. So in this instance, no. uh, The cars could absolutely uh, do counterclockwise if needed. Uh, Obviously, setups would just look the inverse of what they normally do. And, yeah, in terms of strength and everything else, uh, all's good. So it could indeed happen. Now we just need to find the perfect track. John Sable, how you doing, my man? Don't get questions from you as often as we once did, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means that I have an even greater appreciation for when you take the time because I appreciate you and you've always sent in really great stuff over the years. John says, any happenings with an IndyCar eSports series? And we do get this regularly, but I always love reading it because I believe that if we keep talking about it, we will uh, will it into existence. Or am I just kind of silly believing that's what's going to happen? Any chance we're going to have the IndyCar iRacing Challenge or similar coming up here again. Um, Mentions that IMSA kicked theirs off last Sunday, and it was pretty entertaining and nice to see some of the names pop up there again. Let me do a little bit of uh gmailing which I refer to as Gmail. Uh let's see if I can find the email from Davy First. Uh just misspelled his name, so that would be hard for it to come up. Uh I last asked about it on December 14th. Davy, the head of communications, the fine man that is Davy First. I l- genuinely love me to Death, some Davy first replied. IndyCar is considering several options after the new year. Period. Stay tuned! Exclamation point. So I'm recording this on the 15th. 15th? Yeah. That was sent on the 14th. So a month and a day ago, Davy said, considering several options after the new year. Stay tuned. Uh, I guess we'll just stay tuned, John, uh, something we'll see. Um, knowing that the season's been pushed back, the start of the season's been pushed back a little over a month, I would say maybe there's newfound neater desire to fill that gap. So I always had the feeling it was a, yeah, we're, Hey, we're wink, wink evaluating our options, but not really. I wonder if this has become more of a priority in terms of, hey, uh, we we gotta we gotta fill some extra space here. Rob Ball, and let me take an inventory here as well. We are below halfway on the beer. We're not too far from being done with the show, so I better speed up here. Uh, he says, "What is one thing you're looking forward to most this season, other than fans at races?" Says uh, hashtag. Me personally, I hope that practice time is as limited as it was last year, so it creates unpredictable races like we saw in 2020. 20 says, hope all is well on the home front and keep up the great work on Racer. Thanks, Rob. That's about the nicest thing you can ask for. Um, hmm. What if I go a little esoteric on this? I hope possibly more than anything else about this upcoming NTT IndyCar Series season, that COVID does not have a significant impact on the year. Why do I say that? Am I just talking about racing and wanting the racing to be uninterrupted and to be good and not have to change a bunch of stuff around and uh, so on and so forth? Well, I would say it's more along the lines of I have continued to hear tale and story and so on about IndyCar teams having to give money back to sponsors at the end of the season because those sponsors signed up. It's, uh, It's uncommon for sponsors to Prepay for an entire season, one lump sum. hey, we agreed to five million. Here it is. It's usually you know multi part multi stage uh payments, but nonetheless, all committed to seventeen races, fourteen were delivered uh I've heard many, many stories uh about teams having to give money back, do some sort of something where their good standing financially peace and happiness in financial land is definitely jeopardized a wee bit. And I don't know if teams could afford to do that again and stay afloat. So I know it's not really an obvious thing. Hey, I really want to see Graham Rahal win a race uh, for the first time in a while or whatever else. The thing I really hope is that since we do know COVID's affected the season already, uh, we're on our third schedule already, I just hope that we don't necessarily lose the total number of races originally announced because that would indeed cause the same thing to happen again. Uh, with teams having to send back money or just be told, "Hey, we're not gonna make that less payment or two because you know that's how we're gonna settle the score um, I don't know if very many teams could really and truly withstand that, so all right, uh, where are we going here? We have one, two, three, four questions left um, Wow. All right, so Sasha Khan24 from Reddit. First of all, thank you. I uh, do appreciate you sending this in. Uh, I'm just doing a word count. Your question, in terms of words, uh, is one fifth of all the words submitted for the entire show. So that's a lot. Um, and I don't mind in depth questions, but this is a lot. So let me see if I get through part of it more than a part of it, and maybe send some of it back in if you want me to get through it again. But yeah, stuff where you go that takes up half a page uh, sometimes can bring the show to a grinding halt. So don't want to do that since we're near the end here. Uh, Sasha, you say, some technical questions. From 92 to 95, the average difference between the fastest and slowest qualifier for the Indy 500, this being the cart era, was 6.8 miles per hour. In the last four seasons, the average difference between the fastest and slowest was also 6.8 miles per hour. Yet in 1993, for example, it took Raul Boisel just eight laps to start lapping cars. Last year, the race started on lap 12, and when the caution came out on lap 25, Dixon was only 21 seconds ahead of the last running car in position number 31. I have several questions about this. Despite qualifying speeds and having relatively little variance in each respective year, why was there such a much larger variance come race day? I can understand if there were massive differences in qualifying, speed, qualifying speeds, but that isn't the case. Well, couple things, and I know we're talking a multi-year span, 92 to 95, and then comparing uh, over the last four seasons in the good old NTT IndyCar series, so I can only really offer generalisms. There were multiple chassis, Uh, what, 95 we got Firestone in, but by and large there was only one tire manufacturer for the majority of those cart years you mentioned, that being Goodyear. But we had multiple chassis and multiple engine suppliers and there was no regulation, there was no kind of the rules are so tight Everyone's making the same horsepower or within a small fraction of the same power. So the ability for, say, the fastest car in this early to mid-90s window you're talking about to just pull away from others, uh, if not a lead pack or a cluster of cars that were seriously fast, much greater possibility for speed differential greater performance differential to be demonstrated because of the chassis aerodynamic and horsepower differences so that's absolutely reality Uh, whereas today we know that if we just look at the last indy 500 honda happened to be the hot motor to have but regardless cars are so darn matchy matchy same same It is indeed hard to create that crazy separation because uh, although motors are different between Chevy and Honda, they're not that different. Everyone's on the same tire, same chassis, same aero, same everything, uh, barring a slight horsepower difference. Uh, That's what keeps us from being able to really jump out and have differences like that. Uh, You also asked, does the lack of variance in the current race trim hurt racing? says in the early 90s, you might have uh, groups of four to five cars racing together, whereas in this most recent era, uh, it's generally a 30-car train. Does the train cause more turbulence in the four to five car groups um, than in the four to five car groups? That hurts overall passing. We come back to different shapes in this 92, 95 era, just cart era in general. Different shapes, different downforce, different drag levels the wakes coming off the cars being different because you have different shapes uh, altogether. So, again, when you've... <laughs> I maybe mention this every now and then, but whenever we're at the grocery store or near a grocery store or wherever there's a place where the there's a bunch of shopping carts out front and they're all stacked up and pushed into one another and you have this, I guess you mentioned, 30-car train here, Sasha... 30 shopping carts all kind of plugged in and connected to each other outside. I, when I see that, no joke, I kind of think of modern spec indie cars, either on track or in line for qualifying. And at least how my brain works, these things look very similar and bring conjure thoughts of one another because they're all kind of sort of really pretty much, except for the motors the same things and therefore one shot the shopping cart in fourth place uh 12th 19th 21st whatever they're all pretty much the same they're all locked together and connected to each other uh, indycar keeps working on ways to find ways to break them apart to create better opportunities for trailing cars not just the person in second place trying to pass the car in first place, but that driver in fifth in the train or eighth or whatever, to get up and stay close, have stability with the front of the car aerodynamically, and when it comes time to get to a corner, pull out and not have enough turbulence or not have an excess of turbulence or drag or anything else that would unsettle the car, and take the confidence away from the driver to try and commit and make a pass. Uh, Firestone continues to work on its front speedway tires, trying to give more grip and more capability and more everything. Teams are always trying to improve the mechanical grip side. So all kind of great lovey touchy feeling stuff is coming back through the steering wheel. But, The arrow side is definitely something that IndyCar continues to work on, and they have very smart people working on it, not just on their staff, but consultants and uh, computers, server farms burning up all kinds of possibilities and whatnot, and they continue to search for a thing that they've not fully found, which, knowing the depth of intelligence and experience and talent there, I would say points to less of, boy, they need better people doing it, and more of, maybe this describes how tough it is to solve this problem. Uh, so, yeah, that's that. Um, the last part here, maybe send that in again, um, and we'll get to it. Thank you, Sasha, appreciate that. Uh, Ross Porter, are you doing, Ross? It's MP, curious if you have had any success contacting Ricardo Junco's future plans outside of IndyPro2000 says their success with Stingray Rob in the edition of Reese Gold has things looking exciting for 2021. Well, uh, I got fortunate on this one, Ross, because I remembered that I forgot to ask and was trying to remember to remember to ask. And then the answer dropped in my lap this morning. Uh, that being, of course, the awesome, the awesome Stingray Rob will indeed be taking his Indy Pro 2000 championship graduation prize to Indy Lights, full boat season of Indy Lights, with our pal Ricardo Hunkos, the team owner with which he's been the last, what, two, three years, and won that Indy Pro title with. So, yes, really stoked for him. Um, Next time I speak with young man Mr. Rob, I will also inquire if he's trying to branch out and do some other things too because boy it wasn't really a thing for quite a while we're seeing a lot more road to indy significant grade talent try and add in sports car racing uh before they get to indycar and to develop multiple streams of employment experience you name it really hope we get to see our pal Young Mr. Rob uh, may be adding uh, a lot of IMSA racing to his calendar here as he works his way up towards IndyCar. Uh, we have two questions to go. And where are we on the clock? Oh, we're in good shape. Look at that. Jason Hatfield. How are you doing, Jason? It says, with the new season now, not starting until mid to late April. And if it results in eyeballs being up on the TV throughout the season... That IndyCar could look at condensing the schedule, maybe permanently. Could this be something IndyCar just does? It says I know that would uh, be a hard ask for the crews. Says hashtag me personally. I'd rather have it um, like this uh, than having say a month gap as it was originally going to be with Saint Petersburg in early March, and then round two at Barber Motorsports Park in the middle of April. Yeah, the, hey, we're going to do something in St. Pete, but a long while before we go and do something else is, it is a little weird. I don't know if I really understand the reasoning behind it. I feel like I might have asked that in the past at some point, but I hear what you're saying about the compressing the schedule and I'd rather have it be kind of a rapid fire thing from an entertainment standpoint. Do know that the people who make these things happen, the crew, aforementioned crews, would probably say, uh, give me Mr. Hatfield's address. We're going to go have a conversation with him about this crazy idea. The thing I might ask when I get a chance next, Jason, is, hey, so 2022 calendar and whatnot. uh, We know that at least if 21 had gone off as intended, you started at what, May, March? March 7th? In St. Pete and we're meant to go to what third week or so of September but you did have that big kind of weird thing in there when you didn't do anything for more than a month well what about just trying to do a little more evenly spaced so you know is it St. Pete on whatever in March and then two weeks later we go somewhere um I would just say the packing everything into a short amount of time thing, yeah, it keeps IndyCar and or any other series definitely in our memories and you can't get away from it. But then it tends to go away pretty quickly and then you want to see it again, but you got to wait because it's not coming around for a while. And so it's kind of this big, you know, machine gun burst and then nothing. Um, I just wonder, Jason, if a... How about pacing? How about the cadence of things where, look, about every two weeks, you're going to get an IndyCar race for seven months or whatever the amount of time is. But let's, I would say, maybe focus on that. Uh, If that could happen, I'd be a pretty happy guy. Uh, We're going to close the show with, uh, are you the president of the Prue Day, John Wojnar, a.k.a. John Ranjow? Do you have... A question I might need answered, but you shouldn't because I'm not a member of the Pruday. But is there a hierarchy? Have you given each other titles? What is in the Prude cabinet? Where does Lance Snyder sit? Is he even inside? I don't know. Is he on the roof? Do you, do you have cabinet appointees? What's the voting process like? How long is your term? Um, I'm sure that there wouldn't be actual political parties, no Republican, independent, Democrat. Is there, I don't know, open wheel a crat, sports car a crat? I don't know. What do you, Tell me more, John, but I, I have my suspicions. You might be the president of the Pruday. Day. Uh, am I, geez, I haven't finished enough of the beer. Ran Zhao says, to close the show, I watched the movie Turbo. With my lovely girlfriend this past weekend, and I have to ask you, who would win if we had a Turbo slash Driven movie crossover? Uh, Jimmy Bly versus Turbo the Snail. Would there be a dramatic moment where Jimmy rescues Turbo from a <laughs> salt factory, Jesus? Like he rescued his teammate, Mamo Moreno, and Driven. This is, as always, best wishes for you and your wife and your cats at this time. I appreciate the at this time. It feels like it's a little bit of a limited thing. Like, at this time, I'm wishing that. But tomorrow, eh, I may tell you to go to hell. Uh, all right. I got to admit something here, and I don't know if it matters. It might be a surprise. I've never seen the movie Turbo. Um, I've had folks tell me stuff about it. I never really had a real interest. I know it's about car racing, and I remember all the hype around it when it came out, and I'm... Sure, I wrote about it, whatever, but uh, I've never actually seen it. So I only know that there's a snail, and I assume, by your question, the snail's name is Turbo? Um, Therefore, that's the name of the movie? That's a little on the nose. Um, Who would win? I haven't seen Turbo, but I would have to assume that based on the dreadful driving of Jimmy Bly, that a fake snail in an animated movie I've never seen would win and be better because that's just not a high bar, like a, that's, you don't have to scale to, that's not even like a high wall you have to get over. Um, that's just like a mild lift your knee and step over and and you've achieved that. So as for the the dramatic rescue scene, let me see. You know, one of the things, all right. Hey, it's the end of the show. This is where I just throw in even more nonsense that falls into my head. Um what is it, April twentieth, twenty-first, I think, whatever it is. That's the exact twenty year anniversary of the uh debut of the movie Driven. Um I do need to continue my interviews with uh folks who are part of that movie to uh get that finished and then start writing about it and do some podcasty stuff and whatnot. Um, I do recall being told that there was some pretty serious post-production work um, of having to animate out or rotoscope out or whatever the correct filmmaking term is. Uh, a number of folks in that water landing scene where... Um, actually, it wasn't Jimmy Bly, it was Joe Tonto, if I remember, who got uh, Mamo Moreno out of the burning car and water. Um, But yeah, uh, Stallone, as I was told by one of the folks I've interviewed already, was complaining and pissing and moaning so much about it being so cold that he was starting to freeze and lock up a little bit. And there were kind of EMTs and whatever firefighters and whatever around him to try and help him. And, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in the movie, he looks like he's Hercules and you know, the superhero type guy, but they actually had to, uh, go in and remove him from, or the, uh, support people helping him to make him look really super awesome. Um, I found that pretty, pretty funny. Um, I think that's the answer. I don't know about the rescue part. Um, knowing what has happened in the years since Driven came out, John, knowing that the actor who played Jimmy Bly, whose name I'm genuinely forgetting right now, um, was accused of some pretty disgusting Me Too movement style offense stuff. Offenses that would fall into the Me Too category. Movie set stuff I read about Alleged exposing his boy parts to one of the actresses uh, when she walked into his trailer, however that happened. um, Yeah, uh, I can't say if that's true or not because I wasn't there and I only read it on the internet, but uh, I do know that the guy who played Jimmy Bly, if there's a kind of disgraced actor category of a dude who it sounds like played himself and lost a career from being super creeptastic guy who should know better to not do that because lots of men, actors, producers in Hollywood were losing their lives because of such things at this time. I think the guy who played Jimmy Bly should have known that probably, Mr. Ranjow. So maybe, the reason I mentioned all that, maybe Turbo the Snail actually in this new crossover saves... The actor who played Jimmy Bly's career gets him into some form of a rehabilitation facility, behavioral rehabilitation, accountability, sensibility, rehabilitation, something. That doesn't sound like a good movie, though, does it? Like animated snail takes guy who lost his shit and sounds like, I'm using air quote, alleged, quadruple scumbag uh kind of get his stuff together so maybe he could play jimmy Bly again in a crossover maybe that's a a reality series before the crossover how exactly an animated snail named turbo does that in a reality show you know uh i'm not sure if i've thought this all the way through but that's what comes to mind why well, I'm hopped up on, I don't know, about nine and a half ounces of a 12-ounce Kentucky Coffee Barrel Stout. So we're done for the week. We're done. I am more than positive that next week's show will indeed have more Marco Andretti questions. I don't know if I'll have more answers, but I will try. We have IndyCar testing for two days at St. Saint, Saint Pete Shore or Sebring. i uh, going to try and do some good interviews with the drivers when they're done there. Um, What else can I tell you here? I don't know, but I do appreciate you. And I do know that uh, I am planning, although I don't know who it is, to have our first IndyCar, Week in IndyCar guest show of the new year next week with somebody. Don't know who, probably someone who tested. But we'll get back in that routine so you can send in questions and check in with whatever driver that might be. And uh, other than that, I appreciate you, appreciate Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and my simply incredible, incredible wife who lets me do this show and lets me be a part of your family. And I will speak to you all next week.